Thank you, Brian, for doing a wonderful job leading us in our singing. And thank you to all of you who are here this morning to worship God and study from his word. I want to invite you to get your Bible back out, please, this morning and make your way into the Gospel of Mark. Will you go in your Bible, please, to Mark chapter 2? Mark chapter 2 this morning, as you turn there in your Bible and get ready to study, I want to ask you to do something for me, okay? I want to ask you to use your imagination. I want to ask you to use your imagination. I want to ask you to imagine that you're living 2,000 years ago and you're living in the Galilean city of Capernaum and you're in a house. You're at a house in Capernaum in Galilee and you see Jesus. You're looking at Jesus. You're able to look at Jesus in the eyes and you're hearing him preach. You're hearing him preach, you're hearing him teach, you're hearing him give perfect preaching and teaching from the word of God and the house you're in, it is, it is loaded. It is packed, as we would say in our time today, it is standing room only. You are shoulder to shoulder and elbow to elbow, but none of that matters because, again, it's, it's Jesus. You're listening to Jesus. In fact, while listening to Jesus, you, you hear something. You hear something beyond the preaching of Jesus. You hear some noise on the, on the roof. You hear some people on the roof causing all kinds of ruckus and, and commotion. And then all of a sudden, you see the roof beginning to be torn off. You see sunlight coming through the roof. You see dust falling down and towels starting to break and then all this debris coming into the house. And then you see a sick, paralyzed man being lowered through the hole. Can you see all these things? Can you imagine all these things? Can you see yourself there witnessing these things and experiencing these things? Well, if you can, then I want to ask you to keep using your imagination as we keep reading in Mark chapter 2, and I want to start with verse number 5. After telling us about four men who tore the roof off of a house that Jesus was preaching in because they wanted to bring their sick friend through the hole on a pallet to Jesus. In Mark chapter 2 and verse number 5, it says, And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic son, Your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes were sitting there reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sin but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit, that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk. But so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on the earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Get up and pick up your pound and go home. And he got up and immediately, notice how Mark likes that word immediately. Immediately he picked up his pound and went out of the sight of everyone. So they were all amazed and were glorifying God saying, glorifying God saying, we have never seen anything like this. As we begin trying to analyze and really break down what's going on in these verses, I want you to notice a couple of very important observations. First, I want you to notice how these four men these four men who tore the roof off of this house because they were determined to get their paralyzed friend to Jesus, they got what they came for. They got exactly what they came for. They came for their friend to be healed, and Jesus healed him. Jesus healed this man. 
This man came in through the roof, lying on a bed, but he's going to leave walking. He's walking. He has experienced the miraculous healing power of Jesus. In fact, before experiencing Jesus' miraculous healing power, I want you to notice how verse 5 tells us, secondly, that Jesus saw their faith. Do you see that? He saw their faith. When the text says he saw their faith, it's referring to the fact that he saw the faith of the paralyzed man's four friends. He saw their faith. He saw their faith was strong. He saw their faith was so strong that it led them to going through great lengths to get him to Jesus. Jesus commends the faith of this man's four friends. And let me just ask you as a side note, do you have that kind of faith? Do I have that kind of faith? Do we have that kind of faith? Do we have so much faith in Jesus that we're willing to do all we can to bring people to him? Do we have so much faith in Jesus' ability to heal people spiritually that we're willing to invite them to come here and learn about Jesus with us or to let us sit down with them and open the Bible and study with them about Jesus? Jesus could see how strong the faith of these men were, but not only could he see their faith, he also could see sin. He also could see that this paralyzed man who'd been brought to him was a sinner. He was a sinner. He forgave this man. He forgave him of his sins. He said to him, your son, son, your sins are forgiven. That is an interesting statement made by Jesus, is it not? Oh, yes, that's a very interesting statement. In fact, not only is it an interesting statement, but it's also a radical statement. It was a radical statement 2,000 years ago when Jesus first said it. And it's even a radical statement in our time today. And the question is, what can we learn from it? What can we learn about Jesus from this statement? What can we learn about sin? What can we learn about forgiveness? Well, I submit that there are about three or four different things that we can learn about Jesus and sin and forgiveness from this statement. And the first thing we learn is this. First, from this statement, we learn that forgiveness, forgiveness matters most. Forgiveness from God matters most. Jesus is clearly endorsing that message here on this occasion because notice what he does. Notice how before healing this paralyzed man physically, the Bible says he first healed him spiritually. He, he first healed his soul before he healed his body. You see, the Jesus, the healing of the soul, was more important than the healing of the body. And the reason why that is is because a person can be saved possessing a sick body, but they can't be saved possessing a sick soul. They can't be saved having a soul that's infected with sin. In the case of this crippled man here, in the big scheme of things, in the big scheme of things, what good was it going to do him to be healed of his paralysis? And he leaves that house and he's now able to walk and he can run, jump, skip, hop, and do all kinds of things with his family members and his friends that he couldn't do before, and he can do those things for the next 30, 40, maybe even 50 years, but when he dies, he dies lost. He dies eternally lost. He's separated from God and the horrors of hell because he never received forgiveness for, for his sins. I mean, if this man is now able to walk, 
and he can run and jump and do all these things for the next 30, 40, 50 years, but he dies in his sins, will his physical ability to walk on the earth, is that, is that going to benefit him in hell? Is that going to help him get out of hell? Is that going to comfort him in hell? Is that going to make hell any less painful and, and agonizing? Will, will his ability to walk on the earth be the main thing he's concerned about if he dies, loses his soul, and end up, ends up in hell? Of course not. Of course not. You see, while the physical healing that this man experienced was certainly a blessing, and we don't want to minimize that, we need to understand that the benefit of that blessing was limited to this life. It was limited to this temporary life. It was not going to do him any good. It wasn't going to benefit him at all where he ended up in the next life where he was going to be dwelling in eternity. The Lord knew that. The Lord knew that. The Lord knew that if he had merely healed this man physically, he would have gotten out of there. He would have walked out of that house, but, but he still would have been sick. He still would have been infected. He still would have been infected with the soul-destroying disease of sin. Jesus knew that being right with God and having a relationship with God and being forgiven by God, that is more important than anything else in this life. And the question is, do we understand the same thing today? Do I understand the same thing? Do you understand the same thing? Do we understand that being right with God and being forgiven by God and being in a relationship with God, that's what, that's what matters most. Do we understand this when it comes to our priorities? Do we understand this when it comes to our careers and us excelling in our careers? Do we understand this when it comes to pursuing things like higher education and investing in our financial futures? Or when it comes to checking off the, the list of items we want to accomplish on our bucket list, the place we want to go, the place we want to travel, the people we want to meet, the things we want to do. Do we understand that while there's nothing wrong with achieving things in this life, nothing we achieve in, in this life is of greater importance than what Jesus is talking about here. None of the things we achieve in this life are of greater importance than being forgiven by God and having a relationship with God and being reconciled unto God. Do we understand this when it comes to our priorities? And do we understand this when it comes to our prayers? You know, we pray for somebody who's not a Christian. And maybe this person has cancer. When we pray for the family members of brothers and sisters who have cancer, what do we pray about? What do we pray about? Do we merely pray that they're healed of the cancer? Do we merely pray that the treatments work and God extends their lives? Or do we also pray that with their physical healing comes a realization for the need to be spiritually healed? Do we also pray that if they are granted an extended life, that their eyes will be open for the need for Jesus and their need to pursue forgiveness from Jesus and grace from Jesus and, and mercy from Jesus? Do we, do we pray for those things? Or do we just pray that God will heal folks of physical sicknesses? And what about our kids? What are we prioritizing with our kids right now? 
I mean, with our kids, are they currently more focused on excelling in school, in sports and after school clubs and band and gaining scholarships than they are on doing whatever it takes to get forgiveness from God? Is that what we prioritize in our homes? School, band, after school clubs, getting into the best school. We prioritize towards that more then we will our kids seeking forgiveness from the Lord. If any of these things describe us this morning, then I hope we'll do something. I hope we'll learn from Jesus. I hope we'll learn from what Jesus says in these verses. I hope we'll see clearly that to Jesus, forgiveness, forgiveness is what matters most. Forgiveness from God needs to be the main thing we're pursuing. It needs to be the top priority. It needs to be the main thing we're talking about in our prayers and we're, and we're teaching our kids. It needs to be the main thing that we're trying to gain as we travel through this life. Here we see that forgiveness, it, it matters most. But not only do we learn that from Jesus here, a, a second thing we also learn is, is we learn the source of forgiveness. The source of forgiveness. Where does forgiveness ultimately come from? Well, from, according to what Jesus says here, forgiveness ultimately comes from God. It comes from God. And I know that's an obvious point to probably everybody in the room this morning. It certainly was an obvious point to the religious leaders that were gathered before Jesus on this occasion. When you go back and look at that text again, I want you to notice how after Jesus said to that sick man, son, your sins are forgiven, there were some scribes there, and Luke tells us in his account, there were some Pharisees there, and those guys got upset. They got furious. They didn't like these words from Jesus, and they charged him with, with blasphemy. They charged him with slandering God, cursing God, claiming to be God, being worthy of death under the law of God. And then they asked in their hearts, why does he speak this way? They say, why does he talk like this? Who can forgive sin but God alone? Notice how these men say that only God, only God can forgive sin. That statement that they say within themselves, it is right. It's true. These guys, as corrupt as they may be, they're 100% on the money with that. And so the question is, why does Jesus do this? Why does Jesus say this? Why does Jesus forgive this man's sins? Does he not know that only God can do this? Does he not know what these scribes and Pharisees know? Is he claiming by doing this that he is God? Is that what Jesus is doing, brothers and sisters? That's exactly what he's doing. That's exactly what he's doing. Jesus here is claiming to be God. In fact, beyond merely claiming to be God, which anybody can do that. I mean, I can claim to be God. You can claim to be God. But Jesus also backs up that claim. And that's what we see in Mark 2 and verse 6. When after Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven, it says some of the scribes were sitting there reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak this way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk, but it's so that you may know. That the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. I want you to notice a couple of very extraordinary things that Jesus does here. 
First, I want you to notice how Jesus reads hearts. Do you see that? He reads hearts. He knows what the scribes and the Pharisees are thinking. He knows what they are saying in their hearts. He knows that in their hearts they are accusing him of blasphemy. And how would you like to be in the physical presence of someone who can do that? How would you like to go to dinner with somebody who could do that? How would you like to be in the physical presence of somebody like Jesus, where everything you think about, he knows it. He knows exactly what you're thinking about all the time, and he might call you out on it. He might reveal what you are thinking about. That's what Jesus does on this occasion, and that's something that only God can do. Only God can read people's hearts. And Jesus reads hearts here, but not only does he perform the miracle of heart reading here, he also performs the miracle of healing. He heals this man. He takes away his paralysis. You see, if Jesus was truly guilty of blasphemy, then he would not have been able to do that. He would not have been able to supernaturally heal this man. He would have been exposed on this occasion as a fraud and a phony and a fake. Jesus healing this man physically proved that he had the ability to heal him spiritually. It proved that he had authority to do what he's doing here. It proved that he wasn't just an ordinary man. He wasn't just a rabbi. He wasn't just some great philosopher who popped up onto the scene in the first century. He was, in fact, God. He was deity. He was fully capable of doing something that only God can do, and that is forgive sins. That's what Jesus says in verses 10 and 11. You know what that means for us practically? Practically, that means that Jesus is able to do something for us that nobody else can do. He's able to do something for us that our parents can't do. Or our grandparents can't do, or our friends can't do, or a preacher, or a priest, or we can't even do for ourselves when it comes to our sins. And getting those sins forgiven by God, only God can forgive us, and Jesus is God, and he proved that here by doing something supernatural. Forgiveness matters most. And forgiveness comes from God, but I think we also need to point out how from this we see that forgiveness involves faith. Receiving God's forgiveness involves having some faith. And I think we see that in Mark 2 and verse 9, where Jesus says in verse 9, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sons are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk. What's Jesus saying there in that verse? Well, maybe a good illustration that can help us with that is a basketball illustration. Many of you know I'm a big basketball fan, big NBA fan. I've been watching basketball pretty much my whole life. And at least when I started, was five years old when I started watching it. So about 35 years I've been watching basketball. And I've seen a lot of great basketball players. I've seen a lot of great players. And the greatest shooter that I've ever seen in my life, and the numbers back this up. And if you don't believe me on it, go do the research, because I've done the research. And the numbers back this up, it's not even close. When you look at volume of shots and percentage, the best shoot I've ever seen in my life is Steph Curry. Steph Curry's the greatest shooter to ever touch a basketball. It's not even close. If you don't believe me, go do the research I have. And which would be easier for me to do? Would it be easier for me to say, 
that I can shoot three points as good as Steph Curry, or would it be easier for me, would it be easier for me to go and do that? Would it be easier for me to say, I can shoot three as like Steph Curry, or would it be easier for me to say, I can, I can do that? Or go do that? Well, you know the answer to that question. The answer is obvious. It's easier for me to say that I can make 33 pointers in a row than it is for me to go and take you to a basketball court and actually make 33 three pointers in a row. You get that, don't you? I think you understand that example. And I think if you get that, then you get what Jesus is saying here. It's the same idea. You see, here what Jesus is saying is he is saying that when it comes to receiving forgiveness from God, you can't see that. You can't see that. You can't see somebody being forgiven by God. There is no visible change in a forgiven person. You see, when somebody obeys Acts 2 and verse 38, and we've had a lot of people over the last few days, six people, obey Acts 2 and verse 38 where, where Peter said, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. When people obey that verse, they don't come up out of the waters of baptism with a red dot from heaven on their heads. They don't come out of the waters of baptism with some heavenly glow around them. They don't receive a letter from God in their mailbox when they, when they get home saying, hey, I saw you get baptized and I washed away your sins and you're forgiven. And hey, here's a membership card into my, into my church. You don't find those kinds of things in this life. You don't see anything. As far as forgiveness goes, when somebody comes up out of the waters of baptism, and the same is also true when it comes to people who are members of the church. You know, if we, if we have somebody come forward after a sermon, and they sit at the front and they say, hey, I've sinned, I want God to please forgive me, and we say to them, hey, we'll pray with you and we'll pray for you, there's no tangible evidence that after we do that, God, God has done that. That there's no tangible way of knowing in this assembly that God has forgiven them. There's no tangible way of knowing that what the psalmist says in Psalm 103 has come to pass. Remember in Psalm 103 and verse 12, the Bible says that when God forgives, he removes sins as far as the east from the west. There's no tangible way of, of knowing that. There's no tangible way of seeing that. The forgiven, repentant person has to believe God has done that on the basis of faith. They have to believe that God has done that because of the evidence that they can read about here in the Bible concerning Jesus and the miracles performed by Jesus. They have to believe this because of God's promise and God's faithfulness and God's righteousness and God's ability to forgive every sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness as Brother Zach read this morning in the scripture reading. You see, while we can't see God's forgiveness, when we obey and trust God in faith, we can live our lives knowing that God has indeed forgiven us. God has indeed taken our sins away. God has indeed changed our spiritual status. I want you to go in your Bible to Acts the 8th chapter. Do you remember this man in Acts chapter 8? This man from Ethiopia who had just left from Jerusalem worshiping God. Remember him? He left Jerusalem worshiping God. He's going back to Ethiopia. He's a eunuch. He's the treasurer for Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. And he's reading the word of God as he's riding along in his chariot. He's reading Isaiah 53. 
He's reading about Jesus the Christ and Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. And God led a preacher named Philip to him. And Philip got into his chariot. And in Acts 8 and verse 35, it says, Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning from this scripture, beginning from Isaiah 53, he preached Jesus to him. And as they went along the road, it came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? So notice here very quickly how this man wants to be baptized after hearing the preaching of Jesus. You know what that shows us? That shows us that you can't properly preach Jesus without also preaching about the necessity of water baptism. How did this man know about water baptism? And he's reading Isaiah 53. Well, because at some point the preacher must have told him, hey, you need to be baptized. And you need to be baptized right away. That's why he's saying, I want to do this right now. Notice this guy, he's on his way back to Ethiopia. Why not wait to get back to Ethiopia, sir? No, I want to do this now. I might not make it back to Ethiopia. This man wants to get right with God. Baptism is essential to a person's salvation. And this man understood that. He says, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, well, you wait. We just we, we do this once a month at the church I go to. We do it twice a month. We got certain Sundays in which we baptize people. You're saved by just believing and saying a prayer. You don't have to be baptized. That's what Philip said. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water. No sprinkling, no pouring. Philip was a eunuch and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. And the eunuch no longer saw him, but he went on his way rejoicing. I want you to notice that last part. He went on his way rejoicing. He's happy. He has joy. Why does he have joy? Why is he so happy? Hey, man, you're, you're, you're soaking wet in the middle of the desert. What are you so happy about? Well, the reason why this man is happy in the middle of the desert, even though he's soaking wet, is because he trusts God. He believes the promise of God. He believes that if he did what the gospel taught, God was going to forgive him. God was going to keep his promise and wash away his sins by the blood of Jesus. See, this man here, he has faith and he has trust and confidence in God's ability to forgive. And we can have that same trust and faith and confidence today. We can have that same confidence because we serve the same God and we serve the same Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins and was raised from the dead. Forgiveness matters most. And forgiveness comes from God and it involves faith. Can't see forgiveness, but you can believe and trust in it because we serve a faithful God. In fact, this brings us to the fourth thing I want to say about forgiveness from this text. And that is from this text, we also see that forgiveness provokes a response. It should provoke a response. It should provoke a response in the forgiven sinner. It should provoke the forgiven sinner to rejoice and, and celebrate like we see that, that man doing in Acts chapter 8, right? It should provoke the forgiven sinner to, to, to have a sense of indebtedness and a desire to go out and tell other people about, about the forgiveness of God. Isn't that what we see the Apostle Paul doing all throughout his ministry? It also should provoke people 
who by faith witness other people receive forgiveness from God. It should provoke those people to glorify God, to stand in awe of God, to celebrate God's ability to forgive and express great joy over the fact that a sinner has now been reconciled unto God. Isn't that what Jesus taught us in Luke 15, 10? Remember in Luke 15, 10, Jesus said that when one sinner repents, when just one sinner repents, what do the angels do? They have joy. They throw a party in heaven. When it comes to those six people who've been baptized here over the past 10 days, you know what the angels did when those things happened? They had a, they had a party. They had a party. They had great joy over people having their sins washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. And, and go back to Mark chapter 2. Go back to Mark chapter 2 one more time and look at verse 12, please. Because in Mark chapter 2, and in verse number 12, after Jesus healed this man spiritually and physically, the text says that the, the sick man got up and immediately he picked up the pallet. He's even picking up his pallet. And he went out in the sight of everyone. So they were all amazed and were glorifying God saying, we've never seen anything like this. So will you notice with me the contrast this morning? Well, you notice the contrast. There's a contrast here. I want you to notice how while there are some people in this room, like the scribes and the Pharisees, who did not celebrate that Jesus healed a man physically and spiritually, there were some people here who did. There were some people here who did glorify God, and they celebrated this, and they were excited about this. And the question is, which group are we going to be in? Which group are you going to be in? Which group am I going to be in? What are we going to do when we see people by faith be forgiven by God? Will we act like the scribes and the Pharisees? Will we grumble about that? Will we complain about that? Will we maybe think to ourselves, I don't like seeing all these people get baptized for the remission of their sins around here because that's going to make the church too big. Church is going to get too big, and if the church gets too big, then guess what that means? I'm going to lose my favorite spot in the pew, or I might not get to know everybody's name in the church. Now, y'all laughing about that, but I have met Christians who, who, who said those kind of things before. They don't want to see a lot of people obeying the gospel because they don't want the church to get too big. And they don't want to not know everybody's name and be able to fit everybody in their house for a potluck. I'm telling y'all the truth. So we say those kinds of things. When a brother repents, comes down the aisle, a sister repents, well, we say, here comes that brother again. Here comes that sister again. They're walking down the aisle to repent. Why do they always got to do that? All they're just trying to get attention. What sins are they committing all the time that they got to do that almost every single month? Well, we think those kinds of things. Or will we just glorify God? Will we let God judge the hearts? Will we look at things from God's perspective? Will we celebrate the fact that we serve a God who has demonstrated through Jesus the power to forgive and he wants to forgive and he's willing to forgive and he does forgive. He does forgive. What I just want you to see from this is this, my dear friends. 
these four guys who tore the roof off of the house, literally, so they could bring their friend to Jesus, they got more than they were expecting from Jesus. And isn't that how Jesus is? He gives us more than what we expect from time to time. They got more than they were expecting. They were expecting a physical healing, but in addition to the physical healing, their friend was also spiritually healed. He was spiritually healed by God himself. And the final question I have this morning is, what about, what about you? Do you need to be spiritually healed? Do you need forgiveness from the great physician, Jesus the Christ? If that's what you need this morning, then the Lord is waiting. The Lord invites you. Whether that means you need to respond to the gospel for the first time, by doing what that eunuch did in Acts chapter 8 and confessing your faith in Jesus, repenting of your sins, and allowing someone to baptize you for the forgiveness of your sins. We'll, be do, we'll do that and the angels will rejoice over that. Or if you're a Christian here and you know you haven't been a very good Christian, haven't been living right, haven't been doing the kind of things that a Christian should do, there's good news for you too. If you repent, God will forgive you. And we will celebrate that and encourage you and your walk with Jesus Christ. And so if there's someone here this morning who needs to respond to the gospel anyway, we're going to invite you to come to the front. Let's stand. Let's sing.